Greetings. Hi, this is Teresa Willard-Hughes, and I want to thank each of you for taking the time to listen to our podcast. We've been doing this now for 13 months, and over the course of those 13 months, we now have listeners in 62 countries. Not bad from an old black woman of 72, deaf as a damn doorknob, and have limited, let me make sure that we emphasize limited social media skills. I didn't even have a Facebook before I started all this. Still don't understand Twitter, but I'm trying to figure this out. So again, thank you. I made the decision to develop the three generation uh, of African-American women speaking about childhood sexual violence, rape, and incest because I thought it would be groundbreaking to have three women. There's 33 years difference between us. The youngest one, Carmen, is 39. I'm 72. To be able to talk about our shared experiences, our journeys, our struggles, and more importantly, our damn determination to win, to rise above, to thrive. I am pleased to say that we've gotten a phenomenal response from that. And for all of you who have taken the time to listen, I want to say thank you again. It has been our pleasure. So this is the wrap-up, the fifth of the five-part series. What I'm doing on this is I'm setting the stage of how we're wrapping this one up and how we're going to be moving forward on podcasts that are coming out. Although we're all African-American women, we are each violated at different times in our lives. So once again, the one-size-all theory just does not work. Carmen was between the ages of four and six. She was too young to really understand what was happening to her, but she instinctively knew it was wrong. Deborah, on the other hand, had been violated as a, as a kid. So she insisted that her daughters know everything so that they, if anything happened, they would come to tell her. They didn't, despite all of her best efforts, her fears, whatever, they still took time to come to talk to her. I, on the other hand, didn't tell my family for years, but then when I did, I will never forget the immortal world's words from my grandmother who said, oh, Teddy, it couldn't have been that bad. Look how well you turned out. As I've mentioned before, I don't think being raped by your father once a week for, the, for three and a half years, being impregnated by the bastard, as a prerequisite for any damn thing for success. But the one thing that each of the three of us had is that we never, ever bought into being a victim. We all understood that we were victimized. We all survived at some time, at certain levels we were survivors, all dog paddling through life trying to figure out how in the hell to make it. But underneath that survival instinct that we all possess, we had these victorious personalities that made us strong, powerful, and victorious. And we had one thing in common. We wanted more. We wanted more for ourselves and we wanted more for our children. And each of us found a way that we became successful women. So that's a big part of what this story is about, this journey. I read not long ago of an exhibit that was taking place in New York at some small gallery. Twelve LGBT elders. And it was an exhibit of, of who they were, their pictures. Beautiful people, by the way. And what they were talking about. These 12 people, these 12 elegant seniors, they believe that the combination of them is that they lost 500 years of their lives before coming out. 
those of us who have been victimized by childhood sexual violence, rape, and incest, how many years have we lost? How many years have we lived in shame that we have not had the ability to talk to anybody about what happened? How many times have we delayed our health care? This issue of childhood sexual violence, one of the things that as an economist I have been doing is, as you know, I've been talking about numbers. So let me go over a couple of them again. 3.3 million women in the United States prior between the ages of 18 and 44 reported their first sexual experience was that by a coercion. Some joker talked them into it, someone pressured them, and oh, they didn't want to hurt their feelings. The average age of those, of those women that were sexually violated was 15. The guy was 27. Imagine that power dynamic. If you look at 3.3 million women, that is greater than the city of Chicago, the third largest city in, in this country. Every nine minutes, Childhood Protective Services, CPS, is able to have investigated, substantiated, and confirmed that a child had been sexually violated. Well, guess what, baby girl? We all know certain things. That if that is the number, which is average is over 63,000 plus children a year, that number is so goddamn small. So because we don't talk. 93% of those of us who have been sexually violated, we know our predators. It ain't that whole myth that people have gotten out there, the stranger danger. We ain't looking for the guy who has the trench coat and whips it out and there's a little pee-pee is. No, not him. 93% of us know our predators. They live, we live with them. We see them every weekend, holiday. They're the members of our church. They're our clergy. They're our sports coach. Their fathers were their uncles. We know them. And in our community and in many communities worldwide, we are not allowed to talk. It's not like nobody knows about it, because families know about it, but they choose not to talk. Organizations know about it, but they choose not to talk. Why? This line of bullshit, excuse my French, that as children we are resilient. We are resilient. That does not give you the right to rape me. It does not give you a right to silence me. And it does not give legislative policies and laws that shame and blame us. Raping children is a damn, it's a crime. I'm setting up a whole program that by June, we are able to offer online, that if you want to talk to us and talk to each other, we could do that online. I'm also put, becoming a, I'd be able to offer continued education units to healthcare providers and social workers. I'm getting my provider number by May. So here's what I'm planning on doing. I think that we need to redefine childhood sexual violence. We need to redefine rape and we need to redefine incest. Because it's, as we all know, it ain't about the damn sex. It's about all the other things that happened to us. African Americans and looking at the Black Lives Matter movement. There's an, all of this protest that we have around social injustice. George Floyd's murdering, Tamara Rice, you name it. But they're primarily they're all men. And there are few women that we talk about that were murdered by the hands of the police. But there are millions of us. The ultimate social injustice are the millions of us, voiceless, powerless children of color, 
our poor children in rural community who have been sexually violated and our voices are never heard. Talk about a social injustice. Let's use this as a social injustice cause and be able to build a movement around it. Because the one thing that we do know, that when you're looking at childhood sexual violence, it encompasses all kinds of issues. So let's look at it from a public health standpoint. This is the ultimate healthcare issue that, again, we don't talk about. Because we don't go to the doctor as moms until it's too late. When we're being violated, we're children, and nobody the hell is going to take us to the doctor while it's being violated because we're not allowed to talk. Long after the violence has ended, our survival mechanisms in which that we have learned to cope while we're being violated, be it using drugs, be it alcohol, you know, mine was healthcare, like going to the toilet because I was terrified of being in the bathroom. With, you know, with, and have my pants down and my father walk in on me and think, oh, this is an invitation to rape me. How many of us have gotten to become thorough beasts because we thought that if we put on the weight that we wouldn't be sexually violated? All of those bad habits that we picked up as children trying to cope, just trying to survive, end up biting us in the ass as we get older. And most healthcare providers do not have the good sense to be able to ask these questions. And they don't know how to ask the questions. So that's a part of the CEUs that we're developing right now. How they can learn how to ask. And then we're offer them programs that they could be able to become educated. And hopefully our work that we're doing, you can become more comfortable talking to your healthcare provider. The other one that we're looking at is mental health. Obviously have been in therapy. And some Therapists ask me, have I ever been suicidal? I said, uh, yeah, of course I have. But the reality is I've been both suicidal and homicidal. I have no shame to say it. When you live with the shame that we go through, the massive level of depression that we go, hell yeah, we're suicidal. We can't help but be at times. But the ability for us to be able to pull ourselves out of it is what counts. Most of us in any program that you talk about will talk about having a straight line of how you're going to heal and get to do better. Uh, I've been blocked for 72 years. There ain't no goddamn straight line for nothing. Okay, it just doesn't happen. Luckily, most of us who are black are women of color. And even those who are poor, white folks, Native Americans, we got a lot of ass. So when we fall down, we got some cushioning, okay? And we can figure out how to get back up. So when we talk about mental health issues, I think it's something that we really need to address. And we need, we have the right to vent. We have the right to be angry. We have the right to rage. Our bodies, our minds, our spirits are violated. How in the hell else am I supposed to act? The other one I think that we really need to look at is around our educational only freedom that they have, the only ray of light in their day is going to school. And so there they are at school. They act out. There's this rage about it. But let's start talking about what our schools have. We have school systems, school districts, and school administrators have these zero tolerance programs. Look around at the number of the new stats of the number of young black girls who are expelled and suspended. Look at the number of police that are in who are working in schools. The little nine-year-old girl, little black girl in Rochester, damn cops sprayed her? Come on, pepper sprayed a nine-year-old girl? 
for what? This makes no goddamn sense. And my understanding is about 23% of all teachers and education administrators, 23% have a limited understanding of dealing with childhood sexual violence. Now, the other one I think that we really need to be able to talk about the looking at the economics of it. So I spoke earlier about those 12 seniors who lost 500 years of their lives, not before coming out and talking, being gay. The reality is that look at us, that over our lifetime, and those of us who have been sexually violent, who have unresolved trauma, we will lose $241,600 over a lifetime. Uh, last time I remember, that's damn near a quarter of a million dollars. And we lose that over our prime parenting. What in the hell could we do with that money? Think about what it would do. not be driving around in a hoopty, some raggedy-ass car, but you had reliable transportation or you're not depending on public education transportation. What would it do for your housing? What would it do to be able to get your kid in a better neighborhood? What would it do to be able to help with the food shortages that we have? What all would that money do for us? And and for our communities that we live in. The idea that some bastard raped us, abused us, and now he doesn't cost me a quarter of a million dollars? Oh, I'm beyond pissed off when you understand it from that standpoint. And every single mom who is trying to raise a child or children, she understands that economic loss. And that's something that we're going to be teaching a class on. And then the last part of this, I think that we really need to have a major chat about, is the legal and the legislative policies and laws that are basically shaming and blaming us. Somehow it was our damn fault that we got raped. Somehow we should have done better. Okay, so let's go back to Carmen. Carmen was four or six years old. I pretty much guarantee you she didn't have no goddamn sexy outfit on at that age. There was no reason for her, her cousin to rape her. And there's no reason, regardless of what we put on as women or as children, that we should be sexually violated. There's a couple of cases that I read that a judge is Blame the young girls who were young as 12 and 13 for being raped because they lied, okay? They weren't bright kids. They lied on a social media chat room and said that they were 18. Clearly, they looked younger than 18 when the guys raped them, sodomized them. And what did the judge say? It's your fault because you lied about your age. Tell me if that's not shaming and blaming. Think about the time that... 1%, 1%, 1 to 5% of all rapists ever go to jail? Come on now, let's get clear about this shit. This is ridiculous, and somehow it's our fault. I think many of you have heard me say that I hadn't had my period, so I was under 11 years old, in order to make sure that I wasn't too fast or somehow sexually fast is a term that black folks use, thinking a girl's acting you know, too sophisticated. So to control my potential sexuality and me being fast, my grandmother, bless her heart, found some whack-ass doctor to give me a DNC. A DNC, for those of you who know, is what happens to a woman. She may have had a miscarriage. They're trying to help out with her period or whatever. I ain't even had a damn period, let alone a miscarriage. And grandma found a crack-ass doctor 
Next thing you know, I'm there getting some surgery. I could barely fit into the stirrups. But again, somebody thought my sexuality was an issue. He told me it was my fault. My fault that he leaked. And I said to him, and I will say to everybody today, I'm not taking blame and shame for any of that bullshit anymore. And it's time for all of us to stop taking the shame and the blame. And policies, legislative policies and law need to reflect it ain't our damn fault. It is the bastard who raped us fault. So for all of that I have just said, I will be putting out another podcast within the next three weeks. I need to take a break because I'm making some major moves, changes in my life right now. But I'm still going to be working on this. And I will be back putting out this whole movement thing. God knows I'm terrified of it. About what we could do as as groups of people, as this international army of raising our voices. It's It's time, it's time, it's time for us to stop being silent. It is now time for us to step forward. It is time for us to make this happen for us and about us. So stay healthy, stay, stay safe, stay healthy, and you take care of yourself. God bless you all. Be safe. Bye-bye. It's Teresa.